Well, Rebecca read from 1 Peter this morning. You can open your Bibles there. We'll, we'll be there eventually. We'll probably look at a lot of, or 2 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be in a few other places this morning, as usual. As she read through, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a word in 2 Peter, or a form of the word that keeps popping up. And that word is to know, or knowledge. Uh, it's, it's all through there. It's uh, verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, verse 12, verse 14, verse 16, and verse 20. All of those have a form of the word know or knowing, knowledge. Uh, so I think it's important for us to kind of grasp that. And uh, before we start really studying Second Peter, we're not really going to study this too much uh, today. We're going to actually study Peter. And we just went through the Gospel of Mark, and Mark was Peter's scribe. So the Gospel of Mark is really the Gospel of Peter. It's Peter's telling Mark's recording of the events that Peter told him about. So we've been uh, getting this tone through that Gospel. But now we're going to look at 2 Peter. And before we look at this great letter, I think we need to study the man, Peter, just a little bit. Like the other disciples in John 17, he said, I no longer call you my disciples, but I call you my friends. And if Jesus as a man, he's also God, but as a man, if he had a friend on this earth while he had his earthly ministry, it was Peter. Peter, James, and John are always mentioned as being very close to Jesus. But Peter is mentioned more than any other of the apostles in the New Testament. What's interesting, if you just like um, go on Bible Gateway or use your concordance, you put in Peter, you're going to see him in there. I think I wrote it down how many times. It's, it's amazing. I didn't. But it's like 163 times, something like that. Oh, no, 168 times. I did write it down. 168 times in the New Testament referred to as Peter. That's not counting the many times where he's referred to as Simon or Cephas. So it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. And interestingly, you'll find very few times, if any, where Jesus actually calls him Peter. Jesus gives him the, the title Peter, meaning uh, Petros or rock. But he always calls him Simon, Simon. Okay. And uh, so we'll talk about that. And why Second Peter now? Well, because I was looking through my... Uh, index or my, uh, what do you call it, table of contents in my Bible. And in the table of contents in my Bible, there are little check marks. And the check marks in this Bible are the books that I have preached through on Sunday morning since I've been here seven years ago. Okay. And I don't know, it's all in God's time and how much I preach from each book. But uh, so far, of the 66 books of the Bible in seven years, I have preached through 20 of them. This will be number 21, 2 Peter. And it's the next one on the list. So it's what we're going to be learning from for the next few, uh, or probably the next month and a half or so. And it's a great book. Peter. So he receives the name Peter from Jesus. 
And a lot of you say, yeah, we know that passage is in Matthew 16. Right? But it's also in John, in the Gospel of John. We're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit. I think he had had that title before Matthew 16. We're going we're gonna to look at that, and we're going to try to harmonize the Gospels in the call of Peter. We're going to look at what kind of man Peter was. And I think I'll just say this from, from the outset. I think Peter is a man that was chosen by God to be this close friend of Jesus because Peter is probably, of all the apostles, the most likely for any of us to be able to relate to. I think he's a Roman 7 man. The Roman 7 man, what I, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, that I do. I mean, I don't think there's a better description of the man Peter in the Bible than what Paul wrote, Paul speaking of himself, in Romans 7. And a lot of people contrast Peter and Paul a lot, but I can tell you the two men in that regard were very similar. The, the difference between Paul and Peter is we have these explicit records of Peter displaying what he wants to do or what he should do and then going against what he wanted to do. Namely, uh, when he told Jesus, I will never deny you. I will, I'll die with you. And then in the same night, denies him three times. So what he wanted to do, he could not do. What he didn't want to do, that was the very thing that he did. I think maybe I'm the only one here, I don't know, or maybe the only one out there who can relate to that, but how many times are the things that we want to do, and those things that we want to do, that is what we don't do? Okay. I want to tell this person about Jesus, but I, I get to talking about the weather or the news or whatever else, and I, I forget. I miss that opportunity. That which I wanted to do, I don't do. Well, we can relate. Well, his, his name is Simon, or in the, in the Hebrew it would have been Simeon. He's a brother of Andrew. He received the name Cephas. Uh, Jesus would have been speaking Aramaic, and he would have used the word kipa, uh, K-E-P-A. It means a rock. Uh, and the Greek translation of the Aramaic is Petros. Uh, and that's where we get the name in English of Peter. It means a small rock. It means a rock that you could pick up. It's not a ledge stone. It's a rock. Uh, I, as a farmer, never really understood the difference between rocks and stones, but there are differences. We picked rocks and we picked stones out in those fields, uh, but uh, there is a difference in language, and especially in the ancient language, between a ledge stone, which is a different name, and a Petra or Petros, which is a, a rock. Petra, I think, is the bigger stone, and Petros is the smaller stone. So just to clear that up. But over and over, you're going to see Jesus just calling him Simon. Uh, sometimes he'll say, Simon, Simon, uh, just to say it twice to get his attention. That's what he refers to him as. Now, we have some great quotes from Peter. They, they all should be close to us in, in, in our minds and in our memories. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked him, Who do you say that I am? And Peter replied in Matthew 16, 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I think that that's an important one for us to remember and know. Because when we're asked about our faith, who do you say Christ is? I was actually having a conversation with somebody this morning who asked me a, a simple question of, is there any advantage 
to following the laws of Christ if you don't love him? That's a good question. It's a good theological question. Is there any advantage to anybody to follow the laws of Christ if you don't love Christ? And my answer was very quick, and I said, well, yes. If the whole world followed the laws of Christ, it would be of a great advantage to this world. If everybody loved their neighbor as themselves, if they put other people before them, even if they didn't believe in Jesus, like Jesus, or love Jesus, if they just followed his law, there would be great advantage to this world, civilly, in the family, nationally, in countries, and internationally. There would be great advantage in this life. But it's 1 Corinthians 15, I believe, verse 14, where it says, But in, in, if in this life only, if in this life only, we can enjoy Christ. We are of most men most pitiable. You see, we need to look heavenly. Christ is the one who opens up, as he said here, he, he prepares an entrance. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. So if we're only looking for the advantage of Christ in this life, there's, you know, we'll get some, but we'll be pretty pitiable in the end. We look to an everlasting life, and Peter saw that. So you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John 6, 68, this is when Jesus is explaining uh, a very hard teaching to many people who were following him. And many, this is in, in John 6, many people turned away. They couldn't understand what he was talking about. And they didn't want to hear about the eating of flesh and the drinking of blood. I don't like hearing about that much myself. Okay? That's a hard teaching. And what does it mean? And we have to get into it. And we have to look at the whole theological concept through the whole book of John. And when we eat the flesh, the Word became flesh. We take it in. We don't just nibble around the edges. We take in the Word of God. And Jesus is the living Word of God. But Peter's response, when everybody else is turning away and the twelve are still there, and Jesus says to them, are you also going to leave now? Peter's response is beautiful. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and to know. There's that word again that came up so many times in 2 Peter. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we can see why even through his words and his boldness, why Peter becomes a leader of the twelve. Peter's also the one who gives us Acts 4.12 in his great sermon where he says about Jesus, he says, Nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. At this point, that, that's in Acts. That's after Peter has denied Jesus three times. That's after Jesus has restored Peter three times. And he gives these bold sermons and many, many come to Christ through faith for salvation and eternal life. 
And also in the same chapter in Acts, in Acts 4, uh, Peter and John so excited about the gospel. They have life now. No longer are people required under the law to keep every law and be at the mercy of God to see if they've kept it right and everything else. No longer. But through faith, we can have salvation through Christ by believing that Jesus paid the penalty for everything that was due to us. And he preaches this. And the religious people of the day say, stop it. Okay, we like our religion. Okay, we don't like your new religion. Talking about all this grace and getting it only through faith. We don't like that, so you quit it. And Jesus, or Peter, sorry, not Jesus. He's not that good. Okay, Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot speak the things, but the things which we have heard and seen. So that's Peter in his boldness now for Christ. And if there's anything I would want for myself and I'd want for you is to recognize the boldness of Peter and the humility of Peter and to see where he came from to where he ended up. This letter that he wrote, he talks about putting off his tent, meaning he's going to die. He knows he's going to die. And he takes the effort to write these things down to remind us, people who were to come, of the truth of the gospel. He was driven. He's an old man when he writes this. He's been persecuted. He's awaiting his death. But he takes the time to pen these words for the posterity of the Christian faith. So praise God that he did. But where does he come from? And we're going to look at his calling. And I'm going to look at all four Gospels that talk about the calling of Peter, and we're going to try to harmonize those a little bit, because I want you to understand, wherever you are today, Peter was in a hard place. Peter had things of this world that he was pretty satisfied with. He was a fisherman. I think he was a good one. I, I believe he was probably partners with James and John's dad, Zebedee, and they had a big fishing business. He had employees. He had a large house in Capernaum. There's things that we can find out about Peter that are very interesting. And when we think about what he was going to leave behind, uh, it, was, it was pretty incredible that he was willing to leave that behind for Christ. And he did. And not everybody did. But Peter became a fisher, fisherman of men, a fisher of men. So let's look in Matthew 4, 18 to 20. It's very, very similar to the Mark uh, 1 uh, calling of Peter. But let's turn over to Matthew 4. And it just talks about four fishermen being called at the same time. Uh, I'm in the wrong book. I'm looking at this. I'm like, that's not right. Sorry, Matthew 4. I was in Mark 4. So these guys are out by the sea. Matthew 4, uh, 18 and 20. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. Notice it says he's already called Peter. Uh-huh. But it's not until Matthew 16 where Jesus says, from now on you will be called Peter. But let's just notice that. 
Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. It's very similar to the passage in Mark 1, 16 to 18. It's almost exactly the same. And then let's go to John. I want to go to John next. Because you notice that's in Galilee, up north, by the Sea of Galilee. And he sees them there, and, and he asks them to follow. And then in John, chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. This is right after... Uh, Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan near uh, what's called Bethpage or Bethany, which there's two Bethanies. There's one that's right near Jerusalem, up the hill from the Jordan, uh, a huge climb, like a 3,500-mile climb up toward Jerusalem. And there's one on the east side of the Jordan. This is the Bethany on the east side of the Jordan. This is where Jesus is hanging out. Uh, and Jesus is baptized and then in verse 35, it says again, the next day, this is the day after Jesus was baptized, Jesus stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus, he, as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said that of Jesus. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following said to them, what do you seek? I always love that verse. Okay. We see many people trying to turn to Jesus and never fully accepting him. And, and I think it's a good question for us to ask them. What do you seek? What are you really looking for? Jesus was concerned about that. And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, say when translated teacher, where are you staying? It's a good response. If we just want to be with Jesus, he'll give us the information that we need to get with him. He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, this is their first meeting, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. So we see that Jesus gives him that right away. And then it keeps coming up through the Gospels. But then it says that Jesus was wanting to get, wanting to, get to Galilee. And the next scene is uh, in Cana. So they obviously all go up to Cana of Galilee. They go to a wedding. And then there's, there's time in between where uh, Jesus is going to come back to Jerusalem. There's some stuff missing in the Gospel of John. But it's interesting when we go to the Gospel of Luke. Now remember, so he, they've met down in Judea, near the Jordan River, and Jesus calls him Peter. Gives him that title. And then they leave. They go back up to Galilee. This takes time. This is like a three or four day walk. Okay. And they're up in Galilee. They go to a wedding. And then Jesus, his first year of his ministry in Galilee takes place. And these disciples are kind of in and out. Okay? They've not all been called yet. And they're, they're in and out. And then we get to Luke chapter 5. This is even after, okay, in Luke's account, Luke sort of sums it up for us. Jesus has already been teaching. Some of these disciples have been following. And Peter's mother-in-law, 
Okay, if you go back to Luke chapter 4, one time was sick. Jesus has already healed Peter's mother-in-law and she has served them before this next thing happens. And when this next thing happens, it starts to solidify Peter in his faith in Christ. It starts to get him to follow more closely. It's a progression. It wasn't like Jesus came in and all of a sudden 12 guys started appearing and following him every day. There was a progression over this three and a half year ministry where these, these people grew closer to Jesus and closer to one another. Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. This is, I think, one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. Because this is a man who's willing to obey, but has not yet committed. And we understand that his faith in Christ is going to be a gift from Christ. So it was the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the same as the Sea of Galilee, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So Simon was busy washing his nets, has to leave his servants to wash the nets, because you were going to notice that he's going to call Jesus master here. He's willing to do what Jesus says. So he leaves them doing their work. He takes his boat and he takes Jesus a little out from the, from the edge so Jesus can teach. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, so he's already calling him Master, Lord, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Obedience. And when they had, let, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats and the boats, <coughs> both boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. He had already called him to be a, fisherman, a fisher of men. But he said, From now on, you will start doing some catching of men. This ministry is about to take off. People are going to start following. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Forsook just means that they've just left it behind. James and John left their father Zebedee. Peter left Zebedee, his partner, with the boats. And they were just going to follow Jesus. That is the calling of Peter. So we encounter him first in John, where he gets the title. Then we see him in Matthew and Mark, being called with other fishermen. And then in Luke, specifically Peter. From now on, I will make you a fisher of men. And then the apostles are not officially formed as a group until Matthew 10, listed in Mark 3. Um, in John, there's no official list except the number 12 given in John 6. So what do we do with this? 
what is our message from 2 Peter? I just wanted to give that background because he has such an emphasis on knowledge. And, you know, Paul, on the other hand, his knowledge as an apostle is based on the law. Paul was a lawyer, not a lawyer who defends people in court, but Paul was a lawyer being an expert in the law. He understood the Old Testament law and he could give a reason to follow Jesus based on the scriptures. Okay. Now, Peter knew the scriptures as well as we read here in 2 Peter chapter 1, but Peter could tell you why to follow Jesus because of his close, intimate friendship that he had with him on this earth and the ultimate forgiveness that he receives in the end of the Gospel of John when Jesus restores him after he had denied Jesus three times. So there's a lot going on with this man, Peter. <clears throat> so why do, we, why do we preach this about knowledge, that you have to know something? Well, there's a few verses in the Bible, and they tell you, you shall love the Lord your God. Does everybody love God? Raise your hand if you love God. How do you love God? With all my heart, okay? With all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind. Romans 12, we were supposed to have a renewing of the mind, not a removal of the mind. Okay, we don't follow Christ blindly. We have evidence, the evidence is spoken of uh, by Peter here, as an eyewitness of the evidence of the glory of Christ. And that's what we follow. We don't follow cunningly devised fables. We need to know the truth. And why do we need to know the truth? Well, because we are in danger. Okay? Before we follow Christ as our Savior and accept His grace through faith, believing in Him, we're in danger of hellfire. That's where all of us are determined to go without Christ. The Bible is explicit in that. But even after you receive Christ, you are in danger. You have an enemy. We watched the, uh, <coughs> the Bible study we're watching this week is on suffering. And the teacher talks about, well, when, when you come into a group of uh, Christians who are following their Bible and reading, it's not like the devil walks in and says, oh, look at that. They've all got Bibles and they all believe in Jesus. I guess there's nothing I can do here. I'll just go away. Right? No. He's, he's deceptive. He's clever. And we have an enemy. And we're in danger. He seeks to destroy us and to kill us and to make us unfruitful for the Lord. And that's why we need this knowledge that the great apostle left us. But how many people in this world right now are living... Um, take, get your mind off the Bible and Jesus for a second. But how many people are living their life throughout the world right now as if they're in danger? Almost all of them. In danger of contracting a virus that can kill you. And people take great measures and we're all very concerned because death is an enemy and we want to prevent it. Okay? You're in danger every day. 
And I've had to struggle with this. Am I putting people in danger by ministering to them? The answer is, physically, yes. Yes, I am. I could have other things that they could catch as well. I don't have the coronavirus, and nobody's going to catch it from me right now as far as I know, but it could be hidden in me for a time when I don't even know it. But there's danger. But I'll tell you the greater danger. When I'm ministering and when I'm up here preaching, if I do not give the gospel that saves you from the second death, I have blood on my hands. But I want you to know there is one way to be saved from hell, and that is through our Savior, Jesus Christ. That the punishment that is due to us for our sins was taken by Him on the cross. He paid the debt. And if we put our trust in that, we have life. No matter if when I leave here today and I'm walking across the field and lightning strikes me, I have life in Christ. Or if I choose to walk up the road and a, and a tractor trailer truck plows me down, I have life because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Or if I'm taken by a virus, I have life because of my faith in Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ, and to contract the coronavirus is gain. Or any of those other perils that could come to me. We're in danger. And Peter understood that the, the church of that day was in danger. And that's why he wrote this letter. We have to give the gospel. We have to give the gospel, my friend. You have to know it. If you're watching this, you're like, I don't know how to give the gospel. Have you received it yourself? Because you cannot give what you do not have. And, and if you have received it, but you just, I don't know how to put it in words. I'm not that good at talking to people. You don't have to be. God gave you this wonderful book. And it's throughout, from the beginning to the end, this, this story of redemption, of how God created people because He loved people. And how people rebelled against him and have always rebelled against him. And because we rebelled against him, death has entered into the world. And sin has entered into the world. But there's a story of redemption. He can overcome sin and death. And that's the story of the cross. We are saved for God's glory. Because he's the one who does the saving. There's, there's, a, there's an expression that says, we are saved for God by God. Okay, we are, we're not saved for ourselves. Okay. That, that song, it's a beautiful song, Above All. It's a great song. I don't want to put it down, but when it says, you thought of me above all? No. We were not necessarily on God's mind when He died on the cross. His glory. And we get to be a part of that. Let's not exalt ourselves in the cross. Let's humble ourselves before the cross and exalt God who did it by Himself. He saved us. And I want that to bring you joy. If you think you did something to save yourself, that's dangerous theology. The only thing you can do to save yourself is accept the free gift of salvation from God. That's it. To say yes. 
Yes. Here is the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, the very beginning. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. There it is. He's going to declare the gospel, so you should pay attention. If you're, if you're not sure how to put it in words, Paul's going to do it for you right here. Which you also received and which you stand, by which you also are saved. And if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas and the Twelve. Okay? The evidence. He was seen by Cephas, Peter. That's the Gospel. That's the Gospel. If you have a Bible, put a marker there so that when you walk around with your Bible under your arm, you can open up and say, I'd like to share the gospel with you. And, and you don't have to get into long explanations. Just read that. And let the Spirit of God work in that person to get them to ask you questions. What does this mean? What does that mean? And then ask the Spirit of God to give you those answers through His Word. Let us share the gospel. Peter talks about this knowledge all through, and it's the knowledge of what? The knowledge of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of what he called in verse 1, like precious faith that was received. And how did they receive it? In verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. How do we receive it? It's given to us. Do we have to hunt for it? Do we have to track it down? No, God is standing right there with the gospel for everyone. It's given to us. But too often we see people fight it, reject it. How can this be? I have this philosophy, and this philosophy doesn't match with these words. Well, I'm sorry. But God is the author of salvation. So don't fight it or reject it. And sometimes people say, well, what about this person who did this and this person who did that? That's between them and God. If God is speaking to you right now to receive that gift, don't worry about anybody else take that gift. Because it's a gift that once you take it for yourself, you can share it with others. You cannot share it until you have it. It's like a lottery ticket. Uh, I don't play the lottery. I would if it worked like the gospel. If the lottery was like the gospel, I, I'd, I'd be in. I hope you would be too. Because what it would mean was that I could buy a ticket, or, or the tickets would be there, and the prize money would be up, and I would be guaranteed the money if I just take the ticket. Guaranteed. You've got the money. And then, beyond that, listen to how wonderful the gospel is. Once I have it, I can, I can put the ticket back and say, hey, you guys, grab that ticket. Look what you get. It gives to everybody. It denies no one. The gospel is open to the whole world. Unlike the lottery where only one person wins, with the gospel, we all win. We should be giving everybody that ticket, telling everybody how to obtain 
this like precious faith. And once we have this like precious faith, in verse 11, we get the benefits. Verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Make very diligent that once you receive that gospel, that you've got some fruit to prove. I have received this, and I know that Jesus is my Savior. This is what he did, and this is why I believe. Okay? Make your call and your election sure. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We get a kingdom. We get to be partakers of that. That's some good knowledge. He's not telling us how to follow a bunch of rules here. He's telling us to grab hold of that like precious faith in who Jesus is and the work that Jesus did, not in the work that we have to do. It's interesting in my notes, these notes were written a few days ago, but they have to do with what I started out in, in my conversation this morning. Are there any benefits to following Jesus and obeying his laws, even if you don't love him? And the answer was yes. Christianity is more than just moralistic relativism. Talk to many people and say, I really like what you do. You're doing a lot of good works. You guys are nice people and everything else, but they don't believe and they're not sure what's going on. And when somebody does that to you, please don't say, Yeah, we are nice people. That's right. That's, you know, just say, No, we're wretched. Oh, wretched man that I am. Romans 7. But by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, I can do anything good. And everything that I do good, before I am a follower of Christ and give the glory to Him, every good thing that I do is sin against God. Because I'm the one seeking the glory for it. I'm trying to steal God's glory. I can't think of a greater sin. So when I commit my life to Christ, any good thing in me is because of God Himself. And He gets the glory. So our faith is way more than moralistic relativism. Uh, we could cause, if everybody followed Jesus, world peace right now in this world. And we'd have a population of 7 billion people who mostly would go to hell. That's a tragedy. We have an eternal future through this Christ. And it must remain the mission of this church and other churches to preach that from the pulpit and to support the missionaries that we send around the world. When you look at the statistics of countries of the percentages of people who follow Christ in those countries, many of them, they're very low. And they're growing though. Growing in North Korea, growing in China, growing in Israel. A lot of Christians are all excited about Israel. Israel is mostly uh, Jewish. I believe it's something somewhere around 79%, which makes sense. But then the next 15% uh, is Muslim and less than 2% Christian in Israel. 
We've got work to do in China. We've got work to do in North Korea. We've got work to do in Japan, but we have work to do here in the United States, and we've got work to do in Israel and in Europe and throughout the whole world to fulfill this great commission. This letter, <clears throat> a lot of letters in the New Testament written by authors who's, who speak to a specific group in a specific place. Look at the greeting in this letter. Well, we're going to go through this chapter, of course, much more over the next few weeks, but look at the greeting. Simon Peter, a bondservant, that means slave, and apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle meaning somebody who's been sent out. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by righteousness of our God and Savior in Jesus Christ who live in Island Pond. Is that what your version said? No. No. It's everybody who obtains this like and precious faith. In many places in the world, missionaries have been sent, but discipleship hasn't followed up. Churches have not been established. And that's what we need to do. And we keep, we still need to, when we say a church established, we could say this church is established, but establishing a church is an ongoing process. We are still establishing this church here in Island Pond. And we never should stop establishing this church in Island Pond. Did I mention we have an enemy? Yeah. We need to reestablish this church all the time. So I look forward to going through this, this book with you. Uh, I hope you got a little bit of insight into Peter. This man who just started out as a fisherman, a successful fisherman, who became a fisher of men. Go fishing this week, folks. You got your marker in 1 Corinthians 15. You are armed and ready. You've got your bait. Okay. Go and share it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your apostles, for the men you drew close to yourself to teach them. And in turn, they have taught us through their teachings and their letters, always pointing us to you, to glorify you, Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God who took away the sins of the world. Let us focus on you through these teachings. Let us remember these were men, men that you chose to use. You call people to yourself, and you have a plan for each one of us. Help us to walk in that, to receive that great and precious faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.